Hey, everybody. Welcome to the MLB Extras Yankees podcast with Mark Feinsand this week. And it is the James Paxton edition as the Yankees pull the trigger on the trade. They've added one big starter to that rotation. I'm sure they're not done, and we'll get into that as we get going on the podcast as well. But let's start, Mark. We'll talk about who went the other way to Seattle as well. But let's start with just who James Paxton is. He's a guy that has been hurt a lot, but when he's been on the field, he's been a great guy. Where do you think he kind of fits in stuff-wise? Is he a Yankees ace? Does he fit in behind Severino? Where does he fit into that rotation? Well, again, that's not going to matter until game one of the playoffs, theoretically. Uh, but I think Severino goes into this season still as their ace, even after his you know subpar second half. He's still the guy there. He was an all-star last year. He's had some really good, you know, good runs for the Yankees. And I think you know, given that he's been there for a few years, I, th- I think that's still his rotation to lead. But Paxton, you know, probably slots in right behind him, at least for the moment. And I know we'll get to that a little later. Uh, you know, Paxton's got some great stuff. You look at a guy who struck out 208 batters in 160 innings last year, um, you know, with a, a, an ERA under four. He's got a career three and a half year, 3.4 ERA. Lefty, which they like at Yankee Stadium. Um, there's never any question about Paxton's stuff. The only question is whether he can stay healthy. If he stays healthy, I think this is a great deal for the Yankees. They've got a, you know, front part of the rotation starter for two seasons at a reasonable price, uh, you know, versus, you know, probably his two years will cost what one year of a top free agent would cost this year. Uh, And then, uh, you know, and and they gave up some prospects, but, you know, their system is deep enough to withstand those kind of losses. Yeah, the estimates I've seen are that arbitration-wise, he maybe will be around the $9 million mark this year. And then if he's good, that'll obviously go up. But you know what? If he's good, that's fine. You want to pay more if the guy has warranted it. So um, as far as the injuries, you mentioned it. And, and here's the list. 2014, he missed four months with a strained latissimus dorsi muscle. 2015, he missed three and a half months, strained tendon in his middle finger. 2016, 10 days. 2017, three and a half weeks. 2018, two and a half weeks. All in all, he's never made 30 starts, and he topped out innings-wise last year with 160-ish innings. That's by far his his career ceiling. Now, I guess the the one blessing here, Mark, is that all these injuries are completely unrelated, and the recent ones seem to be ones that maybe you don't worry about too much as far as um, big-time time out. But uh, that being said, he's been fragile. He has been. There's no question, Tim. And I think when you, you know, the the one thing you look at his list of injuries and you probably say, well, the good news is none of them have been elbow related. None of them have been shoulder yeah. related that have kept him out for any serious period of time. So, you know, you've got the weird finger injury. You've got the lat muscle. Those, you know, those are, are sort of specific injuries of things that happened to him versus, you know, oh, well, he has constant elbow inflammation or he has constant shoulder fatigue. Um, and so the fact that it's not you know, major arm injuries that have sidelined him, I think are certainly uh, an encouraging factor for the Yankees. Um, you know, I, I think you have to just hold your breath and hope he can continue building on that. You know, like you said, 160 innings last year, career high, uh, 136 the year before. So you went from 20 starts in 2016 to 24 starts in 2017 to 28 starts in 2018. Well, continuing that trend, he'll make 32 starts in 2019. So uh, if the Yankees can keep him healthy, then uh, I think they certainly got themselves a good one. 
And then the other question mark always, right? When players come to New York to play in the Bronx and the bright lights and everything that goes with that um, is how will they be able to handle all of that? And we've obviously seen the, the downside of that with Sonny Gray, who the Yankees are trying to trade away this offseason. Uh, Brian Cashman had a quote about how they try to figure out if a player is going to be able to kind of cut it, I guess, with the Yankees. Uh, he said, I can't tell you we've learned anything further other than we drill down as much as we can, whether with players that have played with somebody as teammates that we know or coaches who have coached or people who have managed or anybody, whether it's all the way back in the amateur ranks. We just try to ask a lot of questions about how they compete. This environment can bring out a different experience for some, so I don't have a new secret formula to address predictability on who will thrive and survive and who won't here in New York. And otherwise, they do what they can, but at the end of the day, you're not going to really know how good a guy can do under that pressure of being a Yankee until he's out there. As far as Yankee Stadium goes, I was looking at the numbers, Mark, and I was shocked. Paxton's only made one career start at Yankee Stadium. He didn't pitch great, but one start doesn't matter. That's an incredibly small sample size. From what you know about James Paxton, do you get the, the kind of the gut feeling that he'll be able to uh, get it done with the Yankees? Well, it's funny. I always laugh when you look at how a guy's pitch at Yankee Stadium because they're always facing the Yankees, who usually have one <laughs> of the true. better lineups out there. So, and it was uh, last you know, season. <laughs> you know that people always talk about, bro. Oh, Bryce Harper has these monster numbers in Philly, but he was facing a lot of bad Phillies pitchers during those times. So, you know, you wonder how those really translate uh, when it's just been against that one team. As far as his personality, I don't know James Paxton. I, you know, I've talked to a few people who think that he's not going to have a problem. Billy Ripken maybe had my favorite comment on this uh, situation on MLB Network. He said, the dude had an eagle land on him. The Bronx is not going to intimidate him. So, uh, you know, who knows? I, again, we, we never know whether a guy is going to thrive or not. You know, people question whether Mike Mussina would be okay in New York. He's a small-town guy from Pennsylvania, pitched in, like, mid-market Baltimore his whole career, came to New York and pitched really well. Then we've seen other guys, you know, Randy Johnson's a Hall of Fame pitcher who came to New York and won a bunch of games, but his ERA wasn't very good, crapped out in the playoffs a couple times. Um, you know, so I think you just have to go and experience it and uh, and just, you know, sort of see what happens. I don't think there's any way to predict. I'm sure Cashman did all his due diligence. I'm sure he spoke to people, uh, you know, either in the Seattle organization or people uh, who used to be in the Seattle organization to, to get a feel for uh, what kind of guy he is. Um, you know, there are certain guys you sort of know from afar, that guy's not going to cut it in New York. Uh, I don't get the sense that Paxton's one of those guys. You mentioned the bald eagle for people that don't remember that or don't realize what that Go was pregame in Seattle. <laughs> yeah, check it out on MLB.com. Uh, I think if you if you search Paxton, it'll come up or just bald eagle pregame the bald eagle literally landed on his shoulder and he didn't flinch it was like he worked at a zoo he was totally and, fine with it and uh, really somebody amazing with a, video. somebody with a terrifying bird fear as i have <laughs> watching I, I was afraid watching that like it was it was terrifying to me looking at it on a television screen i can't even fathom what that was like and he just stood there and was fine with it it was the most it was the most bizarre thing i've seen on a baseball field in a long time yeah, it was fascinating. All right, so he comes to the Bronx, the Big Maple. As far as what's going the other way, we should talk about that. The big piece, obviously, is Justice Sheffield, Yankees' number one prospect. He's in the top 20 in the MLB.com's top 100. Came up to the big leagues late last year, kind of got a cup of coffee with the team. Uh, so he's the big piece. They also put in Eric Swanson. He was the Yankees' number 22-ranked prospect. Another starting pitcher. 
um, who may be ready to go by the end of 2019. And then Dom Thompson-Williams is more of a throw-in, had a really good 2018 season, but still in high A-ball. He's 23 years old, so he's a guy that maybe we'll see what happens with him. But Justice Sheffield was obviously the guy that Jerry Depoto and the Seattle Mariners wanted in this deal. Um but he's a prospect, right, Mark? I mean, we don't know what Justice Sheffield is going to be yet. We think he's going to be very good, but you never know until they really get their feet wet in the bigs. Yeah, there's always that saying, prospects are suspect. And until they do it in the big leagues, you just don't know if it's going to translate. Uh, the Yankees like Justice Sheffield. And everybody that I spoke to you know, during the year and, and this offseason, they, they still had high hopes for him. And yet, whenever they talked about their pitching plans for 2019, his name was never involved. And this is a guy who's going to be 23 in May. So it's not, you know, they brought Severino up when he was, what, 20? Um, so age is not a factor for them. So clearly they didn't see him as a guy who was ready to contribute to the big league level right now. I've spoken to some scouts in the last 24 hours since the trade went down uh, who said they like Sheffield, but they project him more as like a number three starter, kind of middle of the rotation guy. Um, he's got all the tools, right? He throws 98 miles an hour. He's a left-hander. He's, you know, six foot tall. 200 pounds, you know, big guy. Um, but, you know, the, the scouts seem a little mixed. A couple of guys think he has the potential to be a front-end guy, um, but there are others who think he's more of a number three type starter. And, you know, when you're the Yankees, you have a guy who's highly regarded. Like you said, he's a highly ranked prospect. And if you can go out and get two years of a guy who, uh, you know, is an all-star caliber pitcher uh, that we've seen James Paxton be, then, uh, you know, I think that's that's a worthy gamble for the Yankees. Swanson was a guy who came over in the Carlos Beltran trade with Texas a couple of years ago, uh, along with Dylan Tate. Um, again, I don't, I think he's a nice player. I think scouts have liked what they've seen from him, but I don't think the Yankees ever looked at him and said, that's a big piece of our future. So Brian Cashman's done a really nice job of taking a lot of these prospects that he's gotten in the past two or three years and using them to acquire high-end MLB talent. And you look at... Um, you know, the Sonny Gray trade, you look at the uh, the Jay Happ trade, you look at, uh, obviously, now the Paxton trade. They've, they've used some of those players, and yet their system, you know, they've also added players into their system. I mean, remember, you know, Glaber Torres came from uh, from Chicago and that Chapman deal uh, in the summer of 2016, and, you know, Clint Frazier is still around, and, uh, you know, they've got guys who they've actually used, and they've got guys who they've turned into, um, you know, capital elsewhere. So, uh, Cashman's done a really good job of restocking the system and using part of that system to acquire talent because, you know, the Yankees are a win now organization. They're not a five year plan kind of team. I don't know. They took a two week period there and really went into rebuild mode. A couple years <laughs> right. All rebuilds. Um, <laughs> you, know, like the Yankees were, you know, July 23rd, they decide, all right, we're going to rebuild. And then, you know, by September, they're talking about wildcard teams. And then the next year they're in seven <laughs> ALCS. So yeah, that rebuilding process, you, you felt for the fans. They really had to struggle through that. Uh, but you know, it's all paying off for them now. <laughs> All right, so you have Severino, Paxton, Tanaka, CC Sabathia has re-signed. You assume Sonny Gray will not be back with the team. So that leaves that one more spot. And, you know, the one guy they've been focused on, and we've heard plenty of talk about, is Patrick Corbin. Um, there was talk that they'd want to bring Jay Happ back to. With Paxton now in the fold, it seems like one more addition is probably more likely than two. Do you think they still try to go big and get Corbin, who's the best free agent available? Or now with Paxton, do they maybe take it back a step and, and focus on a lesser guy? I think they still focus on Corbin. You know, at the GM meetings after they signed Sabathia back, Brian Cashman said, we still need two more pitchers. Well, Paxton's one, so there's still one spot. 
uh, you know, like you said before, the salary is not exorbitant for Paxton. So it's not like they've eaten into a big chunk of their payroll uh, by making this deal. Uh, I think the only thing this takes them out of is another trade for, you know, like a Kluber type. Uh, but as far as the free agent market, I, th- I think Corbin is still their number one target. Uh, that said, they're not going to be held hostage. And if his price tag is higher than they're willing to pay, uh, you know, Brian Cashman is not going to get into a bidding war with anybody. He's not going to get bullied around into giving somebody more money than he wants to give them. Uh, and I think Jay Happ is a good alternative, a good plan B for them. They know Jay Happ. He was on their team this year. He pitched exceedingly well for them this year. Um, and I think they'd be perfectly comfortable bringing him back to be that, you know, number four starter behind Severino and Paxton and Tanaka. So uh, I, I do think they still go for Corbin, but I don't think they're going to be desperate in terms of, you know, going out there and overpaying, you know, paying more than they're planning on paying him. Um, and I think Hap is a nice fallback because you can probably get Hap on a, you know, Hap's 36 years old. You probably get him on a three-year deal for, you know, what, $45 million, $48 million. And, uh, you know, obviously Corbin's looking for over a hundred. So uh, I do think Corbin's number one, Hap's the fallback plan. All right, one more thing to touch on with you on the same day that the Yankees pull the trigger on this trade. Mariano Rivera and Andy Pettit appear on the Hall of Fame ballot for the first time. Obviously, there'll be a lot of time to talk about this. One of those guys is a lock. He'll be going into the Hall of Fame next summer. That's Mariano Rivera. Andy Pettit, um, obviously some more questions surrounding him and, and his resume in general. But Mariano Rivera, it seems like he's going to not just be going into the Hall of Fame this summer, Mark, but it's kind of going to be his Hall of Fame ceremony. Isn't he going to be the dominant character this summer in Cooperstown? You'd have to think so. I mean, when you're when you're the greatest player at your position in the history of the game, uh, there aren't that many guys who can say that. So, yeah, I mean, obviously with the championships, five championships, and, uh, you know, he's got an award named after him already, and he's, you know, not even 50 years old. Uh, yeah, Rivera is going to be the star of the Hall of Fame ceremony next year. Uh, you know, I think Roy Halladay has a very good chance to get in as well, and that'll be very emotional, obviously, if he does. Um, you know, Edgar Martinez, his final year on the ballot came very close last year. He would be a very popular guy up there as well. Uh, and another former Yankee, Mike Messina, who I believe was at about 63% last year, he's got a chance to, to get up to that 75%. So, uh, you know, I don't think Pettit gets in this year. I think, um, you know, as good, as great as his career was, and you look at a guy who's 103 games over 500, uh, pitching the AL East, five World Series championships, uh, you know, pretty good postseason pitcher. Uh, you know, he had some he had some really bad postseason starts as well, but obviously he came through with some very big ones. The 09 season won the clincher in all three rounds. Uh, Andy, to me, is sort of that borderline case. Uh, and unfortunately for him, borderline cases who have a PED stain on them are going to have a harder time getting in uh, than a regular borderline case. He had that HGH admission, uh, you know, a decade ago or so. So I, I think um, it's going to be tough for Pettit to get in. Certainly, I don't think he gets in on the first ballot. Uh, you know, I think... His best case scenario is going to be, you know, to sort of get in that 25 to 30% and try to build some momentum from there. Um, but we saw Jorge Posada fall off the ballot his first year. Uh, you know, the one thing these guys really fall into right now is the very crowded ballot. There's a lot of players on there. And, uh, you know, as long as the guys like Clemens and Bonds, who are obviously uh, very polarizing in terms of whether people want them in the Hall of Fame or not, uh, as long as they're still on the, the ballot, uh, and they've got, I think, four more years left each of them. That's uh, going to be that's going to be tough because you've got a, you've got just like I said, a very crowded ballot. And you know, some guys like Posada and Johan Santana and 
you know, other guys who had really, really good careers and probably deserved more than a passing glance on the ballot fell off the first year. So I think for Pettit, if he can stay on the ballot beyond this year, that's probably considered a win for him. And I think we'll have plenty of time, obviously, to talk about this. I think Mussina, Jack Morris getting in last year through the Veterans Committee can't help but give him a boost, I think, when people compare those two guys' numbers. I think it really looks good for Mussina. So we'll see if he can make that extra leap and get in um, this summer. So we will see. All right, Mark, thanks so much for stepping in and talking about this big trade as the Yankees hot stove season well underway. This has been the MLB Extras Yankees podcast for Mark Feinstein. I'm Tim McMaster. Tune in again next time.